0: Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Old Testament, and we're turning to Psalm 22. Oftentimes, when we think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we're going to instinctively turn to the New Testament uh, to read about the account of the resurrection or to the uh, epistles that give an explanation as to the meaning of it. Uh, But this morning, I want us to turn to the Old Testament uh, as we think about uh, the result uh, and the outcome of Jesus' resurrection. Psalm 22, and on page 458 in the Church Bibles, we're going to pick up our reading at verse uh, 22 and we'll read to the end together. Last time uh, we looked at the first part of this psalm. Psalm 22 at verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Last time we were together, we looked at this psalm, and the first half of this psalm and we were looking at this psalm as it describes the experiences of one suffering. And we were saying that this psalm uh, is a, an important psalm. It, it was a psalm that was written by King David. And you remember that we said that ordinarily, when we look at the psalms, uh, we are trying to understand something of their origin or their, their background as the psalmist expresses faith uh, in their life's experience. It might be hope, it might be confusion, it might be confession, it might be uh, discernment. But there is always this uh, historical origin to it. And it's helpful to understand what were they going through when they wrote this psalm. And then to see how the meaning or the words of the psalm are enriched when we think about the totality of Scripture. Many psalms tell us the origin. David is on the run from Absalom. Or David is confessing his sin with Bathsheba. And when we understand it, it gives us something of a window of understanding. But Psalm 22 has its challenges because it doesn't tell us of any historical incident that that caused David to write these words. But we also said that something else is uh, a challenge in this is that some of the things that are said in this psalm don't naturally fit into David's experience. Many Psalms talk about David's enemies coming after him. Many Psalms talk about David being at the point of even death. That illness is overtaking him and he fears death. Uh, His foot is even slipping at times. But you remember that here in Psalm 22, it speaks not about the, the threat of death, but of even entering into death. There in verse 15, it says, you lay me in the dust of death. And it, it seems like it's speaking not so much about the experience of David himself, but it is speaking about actually going into death. And so we saw that this psalm seems to be stretching us beyond thinking about David, but thinking about another one who was suffering. And we said that the apostles themselves looked at this psalm, This psalm is quoted 14 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times are quoted in the Gospels in order that we are able to look at Jesus' experience on the cross through the lens of this psalm. So the apostles themselves come and say, when you look at Psalm 22, you should see Christ in it. And so as we look at this psalm, you remember that there are so many details that find their fulfillment. It's like a hand-in-the-glove fulfillment in Jesus' life. Not only was he rejected by men, not only were there people wagging their heads or shaking their heads at Jesus, saying he saved others, he couldn't save himself. If he is the Son of God, let him come down from the cross that we might believe in him. We see that same language here in verses 7 and 8. We see the enemies of Jesus encircling him. We see his experience give an express detail where he can count his bones because his body is so stretched out. That his bones are disjointed, his heart is waxing, it is melting like wax. That he, his life is failing uh, as he watches them cast lots over his clothes. He's exposed as he sees his enemies taunting him. All of these details find their express fulfillment in the life of Jesus, even to the point of his hands and his feet being pierced. And so this psalm is giving us something of an understanding of the suffering of Jesus. It tells us something of the experience of Jesus, both in terms of what he was going through, but also the meaning behind it. Jesus was forsaken on the cross that's really the theme of this opening half of the psalm be not far from me be not far from me but all the while as Jesus hung in the darkness on the cross and quoted these words my God my God why have you forsaken me the psalms shows how the speaker continues to trust but you are my God You are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. And so the psalmist continues to appeal. In you our fathers trusted, and so have I. From my mother's birth, I have trusted in you. And so there's this constant appeal of trusting in God in the midst of darkness. And so the psalmist highlighting something of the experience of suffering. The suffering of forsakenness being rejected by men, but forsaken from God. And that experience is ultimately what sin leads to. The end result of sin is to be forsaken by God, to be separated from God's kindness, where no longer God's favor is enjoyed, but now it is simply the silence of God's kindness and the exposure to God's judgment. And that was what Jesus was experiencing. Not because of any personal sin, but because he was bearing the weight of the sins of his people on the cross. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus was experiencing the penalty of sin as he went to the cross. But this psalm doesn't only express express the experience of his suffering and explain the meaning of his suffering. It also explains the result of his suffering. And so this morning, we want to turn back to Psalm 22 to consider the outcome of the Messiah's suffering. And we want to see that the end or the result of his suffering is the praise of God. We want to think about these verses in two thoughts. We want to think about uh, the psalmist's uh, response. So the speaker himself. But then secondly, we want to think about the people's response. Psalm 22 describes the intense suffering of, uh, uh, of one individual. And it uh, points us ultimately to the Messiah. But you remember that in verse 21, his suffering ultimately comes to an end. There in verse 21, he says, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. There is that recognition that God is a God who does ultimately rescue. Just as he rescued, just as uh, their forefathers had trusted in the Lord and were not put to shame, so this psalmist, the speaker here, also is rescued in the end. He is rescued from out of the domain of death itself. And that's ultimately what we read about in the Gospels we read there in Matthew chapter 28 on the first day of the week when the women went to anoint the body of Jesus. So on Sunday morning, they came to anoint Jesus's body because they didn't have time before the Sabbath began. And so in order to honor the Sabbath, they had to put off that part of their burial process until, uh, the, until Sunday. And when they came to the tomb, the tomb was empty And they were told by an angel, he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And so we are told that Jesus rose from the dead. But the event of the resurrection also needs to be appreciated. What does his resurrection really mean? What does it mean that the tomb is empty? And here in Psalm 22, we are being led in terms of how this event of Christ's resurrection, of being rescued from the grave, ultimately shapes the way that we respond. There is a response of the psalmist, the person speaking here, but there's also the response of the peoples as well. First, there is the response of the person that is speaking in this psalm. Psalm 22, at verse 22, he says, "'I will tell of your name to my brothers.'" In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. I will tell of your name. Oftentimes uh, uh, in the Bible, the name represents the person. Uh, it represents the character of an individual. If I said to you, I want to tell you about Timothy, or I want to tell you something about Sally, I'm going to share something that I know about them. I might tell you something about their character Or what kind of person they are like. In the Bible, the name represents the person. And here, the psalmist is saying, I will tell about God. I will reveal the character of God in the midst of the people of God. I will cause them to have an enhanced understanding of who God is. I will make it known to them. Now, how is the person speaking here going to do that? He is going to tell of God's name by telling them what God has done for them. God has rescued me. And now I can tell you something about God in light of that. That something about God's glory has been revealed through this event. Which will cause all the people of God to have a better understanding of the God who is. And you notice there that he is telling it uh, to his brothers. He he is one of them. He is in their midst and he is proclaiming to them. He is passing on to them what he knows about God so that they themselves can appreciate it as well. So he is one who is uh, sharing his knowledge of God on the basis of God's dealing with him, the rescue that God has brought to him. But notice there that he doesn't simply proclaim uh, something about God. He doesn't just say it but he is also one who leads them in terms of praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Now, maybe coming to church this morning, you weren't very excited. Uh, Maybe some of you come because you're forced to come. You don't really have a choice in the matter. Maybe your parents make you come to church, but you don't really want to be here. Maybe others of you have come because it's Something of an obligation. This is just what you do. You go to church and then you check it off. There's no real delight in doing it, but you just do it anyways. And then it's done with. But here, the speaker, the person speaking in this psalm is saying, I will tell of your name. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And if we're sitting here this morning with no desire to worship God, no desire to praise God, It raises the question, what do you know about God? What do you conceive of when you think about God? What does your mind gravitate towards? What do you understand about the God who is? And what's important to realize here is is that the person speaking in this psalm is saying, I will lead you in the way of praise. I I will cause you. To realize why God is to be praised. I will make you understand the God who is. So that you will be led forth in praise. That's what the psalmist is saying. I will tell of your name. And people will know who you are. The people of God will rejoice in the revelation of God. And God will reveal himself because of this person's experience. It has implications for all. And so he is passing on something of his knowledge of God to others. Notice the book of Hebrews also appeals to this psalm and applies it to the Lord Jesus. In explaining the superiority of Jesus over the angels, the writer of Hebrews appeals to this text. And he writes, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. For he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Jesus identifies with his people. They are my brothers. But he also not only identifies with them, but he makes God's glory known to them. So he is passing on something of what he knows about God. The psalmist here is going to pass on, he's going to declare God's name. But there's another aspect to his response. Not only does he pass on his knowledge of God to his brothers, but he will praise God as well. He is one who is leading them in this praise. Uh, it has become common in our, uh, in our churches to speak about worship leaders And the language of worship leader is one that has risen recently in church history, most oftentimes with the connotation that it is through the music that one draws near or one comes into the presence of God. But notice here that according to Psalm 22, the real worship leader is Jesus himself. That it's Jesus that brings us into the presence of God. That it's Jesus that leads us in the praise of God that it's Jesus himself who causes us to know God. And so here, uh, this is something that even the New Testament highlights. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. It is only through the Lord Jesus that we can come into the presence of God. So Jesus here says he himself not only is telling others about God, but standing in the midst of his brothers, he is actually going to praise God. And lead his brothers in that act. He is the one who is giving all glory to God. And why is he praising God? It tells us in verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. The one who has gone through the affliction has not been ignored by God. God has heard my cries. God has rescued me. And that rescue has implications for all. It is something that is to bring forth praise on behalf of all people. As mentioned already, our sins separate us from the love and fellowship of God. But Jesus came into this world to offer his life as a payment for sin. He offered his life as a penalty for sin. But his death is matched by his resurrection. And by being raised or rescued from death's domain. It shows that his work has accomplished God's purpose. It has been accepted and approved by God. So that when Jesus says he has not despised the affliction of his afflicted one, but rather he has rescued him, that has implications for all of Christ's brothers and sisters. They too can know God's approval. There's good news because his work has been accepted on their behalf. Christ then is seen as leading his people in worship, in praise over the work of salvation. And that those who believe in him and his testimony to them have their hearts sprinkled clean and they become a holy priesthood. That's why the Apostle Peter says that we are to offer up to God spiritual sacrifices through Jesus. That it is through Christ that we can come into the presence of God. It is through Christ that we praise God. Let yourself ask a question. When you leave this place this afternoon and you ask, did I worship God today? How would you answer that question? How would you begin to even frame to think through that? What did I just do this morning? I gathered with other people and I heard the word. Did I worship? How would you know? Scott Aniel raises that question and he gives a helpful answer. He says, you know that you have worshipped God when you draw near to God through faith in Christ. When you draw near to God through faith in Christ with a sincere heart. With sincere heart and an assurance of faith. So there's this recognition, how do I know that I have worship? It's when you're coming to God on the basis of the testimony of Christ. Of the psalmist speaking here to us. Telling us of God's rescue. He has rescued me. And therefore it has implications for all. What is the result of Jesus' resurrection? It's the fact that Jesus will testify to others. He will tell them what God has done. Just as we were reading there in Matthew's gospel, he is going to tell them all that he has all authority. He's going to tell them of God's works. He's going to tell them of what this reveals about salvation. He is going to lead them in the praise of God so that people know why it is that they should honor the Lord and devote themselves to him. But notice as well there's a third aspect to how the psalmist responds to his deliverance. It's in what he pronounces. Almost unexpectedly there in verse 26. Notice what he says. May your hearts live forever. His rescue is something that will reveal something of God to others. It will ultimately lead in the worship of God. But then he also says as a result of his rescue. It has eternal consequences. May your hearts live forever. Eternal life is the result of his rescue. And as a benediction he is pronouncing it on God's people. That he is communicating God's blessings as a result of his rescue. This is the result of his resurrection. This is the result of God's rescue of him who suffered and ultimately laid down his life in the dust of death. But there's also the response not only of the psalmist here but there's also the response of the peoples. And you see that in verses 27 and following. It says all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. How will the peoples respond? You can summarize it with three words. They will remember. They will turn and they will worship. Charles Spurgeon says that the first religious exercise that a person goes through is that of remembrance. By nature, we are people that do not remember. We do not remember our God. We do not remember that we are accountable to our God. We don't live with mindfulness of the judgment to come. We don't live with mindfulness of what God has said to us. But rather we put these things off and live as though God were not. But the first exercise of the religious mind is one of calling to attention. Something has happened. And I I must live with reference to God. Just as Isaiah says as well. People will be astonished when they hear of what God has done. Here it says, the ends of the earth shall remember. It'll call to their mind. It'll get their attention and they will then turn. They were living their life one way. They were going on one path, but then there will be a change in their goal. There will be a change in their direction in life. There will be something that turns them after something else. And the effect of this message that is spoken to them of what God has done will have the effect of actually changing the way that they live their life. They will remember that they are before God. They will turn from their sin to God. And they will worship the Lord. This is something that causes them to be devoted to God, to be committed to God as a result of this man's testimony. It will control them. It will grip the way that they live their lives. And so they are people that are committed and devoted to the Lord. And notice it says that this is something that is uh, uh, far-reaching. In verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Both the prosperous and the afflicted. Both uh, the rich and the poor. This is something that will have implications for many that they will turn to the Lord and worship. And notice it says that they will be satisfied as a result as well. They will come and eat and worship. They will participate in the benefits that are provided for them. Earlier, the psalmist spoke about in verse 25, he says, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. He's using the language of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you made a vow to the Lord and the Lord answered your prayer, You would obviously fulfill your vow, but you would also offer up to God a sacrifice. And then you would take the, after the sacrifice, you would have a feast and you would invite others to come and to celebrate with you. You would share your food with them and you would tell them what God has done for you in your life. And here the speaker is saying, I am going to fulfill my vows. I'm going to. I'm going to have a feast. I'm going to have others come and I'm going to tell them what God has done for me. And they will eat and they will be satisfied. You think about even the Lord's Supper. What is Jesus doing? He's reminding us of the eternal banquet. He is telling us of what he has done. And he is telling us that he wants to share the benefits with his people that he is one who has secured God's blessing, that by faith in him, we have a share in his attainments, what he has accomplished. And here it is saying that the people, the prosperous of the earth, those who are bowed down, they will come and they will participate, they will eat and they will be satisfied. And so there is a response of the peoples of turning to the Lord and of uh, uh, embracing uh, the Lord in worship. But also, there is not only one uh, response of turning, but also a response of telling. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to a coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. What has happened here will have consequences Down through the generations. People will tell others. From generation to generation. Of what has happened. What has happened. They will tell of his righteousness. They will tell of his deliverance. They will tell of his salvation. And they will tell it to generations yet unborn. That God has done it. The words that Jesus echoes even from the cross. It is finished. This is God's doing. Jesus wasn't simply saying his life was ending. He was saying this is the work of God. And generations yet to be born will embrace it. And so as we think about this psalm, what is being testified, the speaker of this psalm is saying that he is going to pass on what he knows of God. He is going to lead them in the praise of God. And he is pronouncing God's blessing on them. But the psalm also has this glorious ending where it talks about the response of the nations. That the nations will turn because of this event. They will worship the Lord and they will actually tell it to others, to future generations, because this is so important. Now look at human history. What have we seen? Jesus has been raised, the tomb is empty, and nations have heard the Gospel. The Apostle Paul appealed to this passage to justify bringing the Gospel to the Gentiles. He said, this must happen because this is what the psalmist was talking about. And now you see the nations embracing the Lord Jesus. You see people telling from generation to generation what God has done. Even when we gather together as a a covenant community, we are telling between generations what God has done. And so we are left thinking to ourselves, What is this psalm talking about if it's not talking about what God has done in Christ? Do you see the fulfillment of God's promise in history? The resurrection of Jesus has shaped all of history, and the nations have responded. The gospel has gone out. And so, as you're sitting here, as you're listening to this, ask yourself Am I part of that company? Am I part of those who are praising God as a result of having heard? Have I turned to the Lord? Have I put my trust in him? Have I remembered my God? That I'm a sinner. That he is just. But also that he's merciful. Have I looked to him for for salvation? And have I known the delight that comes by trusting in him? That is what we are led to do in this psalm. As we think about the suffering servant. It also leads us to think about the result, which is the praise of God. And so as we think, why do I want to praise God? Jesus is the one who makes God known to us. He shows us God's goodness. He shows us God's justice, his holiness, his mercy, his faithfulness, his glory. And his people will delight in him. Let's pray. heavenly father we praise you that you are a god who extends mercy uh, to the nations we thank you that there is salvation from sin and that we can have a knowledge and a confidence of acceptance uh, before you we pray lord that you would help us to marvel at these words that were written so long ago but that find their fulfillment in uh, the lord jesus himself lord go before us we pray and uh Cause us to be people who delight in you. In Jesus' name we ask.